0: is the result of Nehemiah 9 where the people gathered together and they had a great time of confession before the Lord. For those that are just new here, the background of the Nehemiah was that uh, the the people of Israel had been carried off to Babylon for several generations. They neglected God. They neglected the house of God, the ways of God. They had uh, married into the cultures around them. They had accommodated themselves uh, so they could get along with the cultures that were there. And by the way, whenever a church, whenever a Bible-believing church begins to accommodate itself to the prevailing culture, that is the beginning of the end for that church. Historically, God has called us to be lights and to shine of the darkness. He has not called us He has not called us to turn down the wick of the lantern and shine less lightly because the darkness is getting darker. How many understand that? And so we're to shine brightly. And they had accommodated themselves and taken on the the values of the culture so they could get along with them. And uh, because of that, um, they ended up in Babylon. And then the Lord raised up Ezra and Nehemiah to come back uh, from Babylon and to rebuild the temple. Ezra was to rebuild the temple. and Then Nehemiah, who was cupbearer to Artaxerxes, uh, he came back uh, 12 years later to rebuild the walls and to repopulate the city of Jerusalem. And after they had rebuilt the walls in the face of, a, of ongoing and consistent and persistent uh, opposition by their enemies, uh, and just, uh, just for an example, there's a name, Tobiah. How many of you have heard the name Tobiah, Sanballat Tobiah? And, you know, you would think you'd get rid of this guy. He was worse than a pesky housefly. And in chapter 13 that we'll be ministering out of next week, Tobiah ends up again in chapter 13. And you'll be surprised where he ends up in when you read that. You can read ahead if you want. Um, but anyway, after all that, they had gathered together, they had rebuilt the walls, and now Nehemiah was called to rebuild the citizens of Jerusalem. And they came together in chapter 8 and 9, and they had called out to Ezra to read the book of the law, that they would, they would once again govern themselves by that. And then in chapter 9, they began to worship the Lord. And they had a great change of heart because of confession, and uh, God did something in their life, and chapter 10 is what they said they were going to do to affect what God had done in their life. When I was a teenager, I describe myself now I was a turn off the lights challenged teenage boy. That means that wherever I went in the house, I left a trail of lights, anything electrical that had a switch. It only had an on position, no off position. And uh, the house that we grew up in, the parsonage, had a basement, a first floor, a second floor, and then the attic had been finished off, and that was my brother's room and my room. I can't tell you how many times that my mom would go up to inspect uh, the cleanliness of our room, and I can say she was always disappointed, but... uh, (laughs) And so I might be down in the basement or out in the yard, and I would hear this piercing voice. It could carry easily four floors or up and down Hickory Street. Oh, come up here and turn these lights off. You know, and I'd go up, and I'm sorry. You learn to say you're sorry, it was just wise, whether you were or not. I'm so sorry. Turn the lights off. And the next day, it'd just start all over again. Um, It was, I was a child in that house, and I had no ownership with that. I, the electric bill was always paid for, no matter what I did. My wife and I met at Southeastern University, and and we married, and we were married our last year, and uh, someone said, do you ever have any regrets? I said, no, I'd have done it, I'd do it all over again. I'd gladly trained in that roommate I had of mine for this beautiful young bride. I thoroughly enjoyed marriage, that's all I could say, and, um. I won't go there anymore. But anyway, so we rented a little three-room apartment uh, in Lakeland, Florida, and uh, the first electric bill came. And I said, babe, we've got to have a talk. (laughs) We've got to start turning off the the lights. Um, The electric bill is getting dangerously high. And from then on, I never had a problem turning off the lights or watching things or... And so it, it infected my wife so much that she keeps our air conditioning at 78 degrees in the house. And I'm just, you know, I like it a little, little cooler than that. But uh, anyway, we, when we have company, we knock it down to 74. So don't get excited. You know? <laughs> but, but it was because my relationship changed. I was no longer a dependent child. I could no longer say, well, hey, someone's going to pay it. But I was now... Uh, I had a wife, I had responsibilities, I was in love with her. We had a future, we had bills to pay. And so hence, make sure you turn off the light when we leave the house. And there was only three lights in the house, I think, that three bedroom apartment. Uh, It is true, what you reap, you sow. And so now we have grandchildren living with us and uh, one of them's a teenager and I follow the trail of lights all the time, I mean. And I've talked, I've said, I've, you know, and it makes no difference. All the lights are left on. All the bathroom fans are left on. It's just my workshop lights are left on in the middle of the night. And, and uh, so after a while, I just turn them off. i oh, forget it. Well, I want to share with you today there's things that God uses in our life when we come into a transforming relationship with God. It's one thing to have a relationship with God. It's quite another thing to to do those things, to intentionally do those things so that we can nurture that and we can live the best life that God has for us. Jesus describes the best life as this. In John chapter 10, he said, He said, Thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. To steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. If you read in Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 1 through 14, God's plan for his people is to give to them what we would call the blessed life. He said, if you do this, this is my plan for you, that you will be the head and not the tail. That your life will be blessed coming in and going out. Um, And there's a series of promises that he does. That your, your cattle will have lots of calves. Now we don't have any, most of us don't have cattle, but some of us do. But what he's talking about, the totality of life. If you would read in Psalm 37, it's that life of, for the long view. What I call for the long haul. It's that life that, when David, as an older gentleman, wrote Psalm 37, he said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. He said, though the righteous, though the righteous are, are uh, cast headlong, yet the Lord's hand sustains him. He holds him up. And that's, that's the life that God has for you and the life that God has for me, where the peace of God, the shalom of God, permeates our life, where it surrounds us like a shield from the sun's heat. And so in Nehemiah chapter 9, we're going to begin with this verse. There's four things that I want to share with you today, unpack with you, these four powerful principles that God uses so that we can live our best life. And the first one is found in in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38, and then 10, 28. Now because of all this, we're making an agreement in writing and on the sealed document are the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. And then verse 28 of chapter 10. Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, all those who had knowledge and understanding. It's the power of unified obedience and consecration to the Lord. And they said, because of all this, we're making an oath today. All this came about because of humble adoration and worship of the Lord. I love celebratory worship. I love just being inspired I love that sense of freedom and joy, but I also have grown to love that act of humble worship where we come before the King of Kings, where we come before the Creator of this earth and of all of the heavens, and we come before Him with grateful appreciation. and We come bowed on our knee to the Lord, thanking Him for who He is and how great He is and that, oh, Lord, you are the one true God. Israel had done that in chapter 9. In fact, the service was six hours long. How about that? Six hour long. Can you imagine a six hour long service? Worship and confession to the Lord. And they confessed that God alone was great. And they confessed the awfulness of their sin. And they confessed that they, their shabby treatment of the Lord And they also confessed that it was the Lord who led them into captivity, and they acknowledged and confessed it was their sinfulness. It was their accommodating the culture around them that caused God's hand of discipline to be on them as a father disciplines his children, and they were carried off into captivity of Babylon. And they recognized the providence of God, that even in Babylon, and you can read in Isaiah chapter uh 39 through 43, Isaiah talks about the providence of God. And he said, even in Babylon, the Lord's hand was on them. And he said, you are the redeemer of your people. And so they acknowledge this in Nehemiah. And it's the first time in the book of Nehemiah that we find God's people taking ownership of the things that they did that caused themselves to move far away from the Lord. Consecration is a term that we don't hear that much of anymore, but consecration is that act of dedication to the Lord and separation from the spirit of this age. Just like when my wife and myself, when we entered into the marriage covenant, she was my one and only. And because she was my one and only, I wanted to spend my life with her But that was the end of any wandering eyes. That was the end of, I'm hoping, can I get a date with this one? That was the end of any designs on anyone else. That was the end of it. Because we have a covenant, and I've promised to love her forever. And she's promised to love me forever. And that was the end of the matter. And consecration is that time when we take an oath, if you would, before the Lord and the people of God said that later on they said we take an oath and a curse, an oath in those days. They said that we're signing on the dotted line that this is what we intend to do. This is not just a good idea. This is not just a special feeling when we're in worship and singing worship to the Lord. This is not just the feeling of love, but this is what we intend to do to give veracity and validity to our commitment to the Lord our God. We walked that aisle, and the, the minister said to me, do you promise to take this wife? And I said, I do. And when she said that, when Chris said that to me, that was forever and ever and ever and ever. On our 50th wedding anniversary, my, I've often said, I'm hoping that on that day you'll be able to stand and say, Because of you, because of you, this is what's happened in my life. And I'll be able to stand and say, because of you, I've had a better life than I could have had by myself. Consecration to the Lord. Friends, there's a power, power of unified obedience and consecration as as a congregation and as an individual. In fact, God's Word said that they were united from the highest officials to the least among them. Acts chapter 2 says that they were all in one accord. And when we as a church, when we as a church determine that we will move forward in unified obedience and consecration to the Lord, that means that we intend to pray for each other. It means that we intend to love each other. It means that we intend to be obedient to the vision. It means that we intend to have relationships that are intentional when that happens nothing is impossible with God after the service we're going to ask you to go take a look and be part of one of the connect groups that's one of the very very important ways that we express community but God's blessing is on community God's blessing is on community when we decide to say, no, I'm going to operate for myself, we move outside of a certain umbrella of the blessing of God. The second thing I want to share with you this morning is they, is they made an oath and a, a curse, actually, to have all-in life by the book. That's the Word of God. And so verse 29 says, we're joining, or they are joining with their kinsmen, their nobles, and are taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given through Moses, God's servant, and to keep and to observe all the commandments of God our Lord and his ordinances and his statutes, all in life by the word of God. It recognized that the word of God is the law, the ways of the only true God. And so they made an oath and also a curse. They said, we're so serious about this that if we don't walk in the way of the Lord, then we are asking the Lord and submitting ourselves to his hand of discipline, a curse is what they said, I want to encourage you to make the reading of God's Word a daily habit. This is this is a wonderful um, this is a wonderful tool, the uh, the Bible the U version app, and I get I get uh, notifications all the time. There's several of you that are using that, and there's several reading plans uh, that are on there, and I'll see that so and so has just started a reading plan, or and Bob Lidke starts a lot and he finishes a lot, but there's a lot of you that that do that. Uh, and I get notifications of it and it's just, it's wonderful, there's themes that you can follow, for myself I purpose to read God's word through every year and I'm, I'm on a schedule and it's always that the, I, I try to finish up with about uh, three to three and a half weeks ahead of time, it's during the holiday season and during that time there's just, there's uh, I'm in God's word but I can explore more of of there's other parts of God's Word that I just want to be able to linger in, if you would. And, but I find that it, it, it guards my heart. And they were all in by the book. And I want to encourage you to seek the wisdom of God and the life that it comes through incorporating the Word of God in our lives. The third thing that they did has to do with the benefits of Protection through separation. Verses 30 through 31. And it said, And that we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. As for the peoples of the land who bring wares or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day. And we will forgo the crops the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. And then you can... You can continue reading on, and it, men- it talks about the tithe, talks about different things that they, that they obligated themselves to do. But there's protection through separation. Uh, the two main things that they address here are keeping the Sabbath and then mixed marriages. And mixed marriages, is that's not... That's not um, Uh, different cultures or different uh, races, different ethnicities marrying. How many understand? That's not what we're talking about here. But it's that Israel was giving their daughters to the nations around them who had values that were far different than the values that bring life, which are godly, enduring, eternal values. And they were taking the daughters of cultures around them, and giving them to their son. And they were intermarrying. And when they did that, the wall of protection became compromised. The spiritual immune system was compromised. The other day, when Chris and I visited Lynn Hill in the hospital, and she really was she really was low this past week, but um, they they were able to do some things, and they and they found out some things that really give hope uh, some hope for the future. But we we walked in, and uh, well, we wanted to walk in, but on the door is a big box, gloves, gowns, and masks. Because her immune system is so weakened right now that if we go in and just the normal conversation, if we're carrying something, it, it, could, it could overcome her. So we, that's what we did. Her sister was there, and she's wearing the same thing. Had a wonderful visit with her, and the Lord uh, was already touching her body, and she's being renewed, and the, the wonderful medical field, what they were applying to her. Uh, and some things they believe that they found out had really started to take effect. But there's protection through separation. One of the things is the Sabbath, was to keep the Sabbath holy. The reason that the Sabbath was given, uh, this is what God's Word says. First of all, it said it's holy to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. But another reason is that it was given so that you and I can refresh ourselves. That's what God's word says. We can refresh ourselves. We, the day that we live in, the pace of life is is a frenetic pace. The day that we live in, the scripture describes that in the last days that men's hearts, women's hearts, would be failing them for fear. Today, in the United States, the use of psychotic prescription drugs to treat anxiety and and depression and those different types of maladies or affliction is at a highest rate that it's ever been. Now, let me say this. There are times and circumstances when there are valid uses for those type of prescriptions and medicines how many understand that there are valid uses for it but what it tends there's a number of things that it tends to do but it almost always addresses what is happening not the why that is causing those those things and and it's a symptom of the time that we live in i believe be honest i believe that we have neglected the Sabbath or a day that's holy to the Lord, and we run full throttle seven days a week. We do. And when it comes to our kids, we need ten days a week to fit it. We try to fit it in for seven. I just want to encourage you. You don't have to have your, your child in every extracurricular activity under the sun. It's just a word of advice set some boundaries. We had a daughter who was very, very, very good, and she was recruited to uh, a fairly high-profile travel team in sports, and then we found out she would be gone every weekend, and the coach who was so buddy-buddy and made her feel like, oh my goodness, special, special, special person, and I talked with him. I said, I'm sorry that she won't be able to go every weekend. That's that's not our custom. We're people that attend the house of the Lord. That's a value in our life. Oh, my goodness. He dropped her like a hot potato. She had no more value to him. I, I just want you to hear what I'm saying. I, is there any amens? Is there anything else going out there? I just want you to hear what I'm saying. What I, and it's this. There's nothing wrong with soccer. There's nothing wrong with swim. And there's nothing wrong with gym. And there's nothing wrong with dance. And there's nothing wrong, you name it. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. But what is right is when we have a day that is holy to the Lord. Can someone say amen? Amen. It is a day that the Lord said, I'm holy. This is my day. You treat this because you and I are wired you and I are wired that we can go six days a week really hard, but we need one day to refresh ourselves. In England, they found during the war effort, what they found was that they were, as they were cranking out ships and airplanes and they're working seven days a week, they actually found that production started to go down and then they started working six long days a week, but production started to go back up. You, they got more done with less. And that's the, that's the appeal that's there. And so they said, we're going to keep the Sabbath holy to the Lord. And now I'm going to talk with you just for a moment as a pastor. They said, we're no longer going to give our daughters away so that they'll be unequally yoked with the young men of the culture of this world that surrounds us that is far from God. And likewise, we're not going to encourage our sons to take women, daughters, for marriage from those cultures. I, I want to say this as a pastor. Please, parents, do not encourage your children to be unequally yoked in a dating situation. There's protection through the guardrails that God has placed for you and for me. There's a reason there's guardrails on the edge of the cliff. There's a reason there's guardrails on the highways. My wife and I were going to district council several years ago, about 10 years ago now, and, and it was just, we're going through a particularly trying time. Particularly trying time. We're on I-70. District council was to begin that night. Our goal was to get there at five o'clock and get into the hotel. And the service was to grab a quick bite to eat. And the service began at seven thirty. And some of the things that were going on in ministry, I was absolutely exhausted. And Chris was exhausted. And uh, we started to drive out to Winchester. We're going to I-70. And all I know is that I fell asleep at the wheel. I fell asleep at the wheel. I hit those rumble strips. And I had the presence of mind. When I opened my eyes, the speedometer said 75 miles an hour on a Sunday afternoon. Traffic coming in all directions. Traffic behind us. And somehow... If you've ever been in that situation, things just slow down. And I remembered somehow don't slam on the brakes and don't yank the wheel. I was headed for the guardrail. And I hung on. And I hit the guardrail. But that guardrail prevented me from going over into the oncoming traffic for a major, major, probably head on death collision. And I was able to swing back up on the road like this and all the traffic on our side had just parted like the Red Sea. When God says not to do something, friends, he really means not to do something. There's protection in the guardrails that God has. I want to encourage you to pray for and conduct your life for and wait for the mercy of the mate that God has for your life. Can someone say Amen. It is worth it. Please don't marry somebody and say they'll change. Marriage only tends to intensify the person you are once you get in marriage. Now, are there instances of people giving their life to the Lord with their unequal yoke? Yes, praise God. But far greater is this. You say, Pastor, can I have a good marriage if I'm married to someone who's unsaved? You can have a good marriage. I'm not saying that. But in your heart of hearts, if your heart is to please God, and you're in church every Sunday, you know, and you've, some have talked with me, your ardent, deepest desire is that husband or wife will come to Jesus Christ. That gnaws at you. And life is not just about being happy in marriage. How many understand what I'm saying? Life is knowing that as husband and wife, you're yoked together. You're moving forward. Your heart is filled when you see your children. And I want to ask you this and say, even in the dating situation, don't begin down that road. Now, my wife and I have a different view on some things. You know, Mars, Venus, you know, that type of thing. And I, say, and I said, babe, believe you me, If our daughters are dating someone who's unsaved, it's not that there's not good unsaved boys and men. That's not the deal. But their heart is far from God. And what their view is and where they're going has nothing to do with God. They might accommodate coming to church once in a while. At first, we call that galvation, not salvation. That means it looks good but I grew up in locker rooms. I grew up with red-blooded guys. I know what the deal is. Now my wife thinks all the boys are innocent and all those other things, okay. I'm I'm gonna talk about something else just for a moment. It's alcohol. Just be straight up with it. Alcohol in different cultures represents different things. Do you know that in our colleges and universities, the consumption, the overconsumption of alcohol is in an epidemic now? And that's what it represents is a party and a good time. And I wanna, I'm, I'm not going to stand up here and say, if you have a drink of alcohol, that's a sin. You'll never hear me saying that. But I will say this. It is a gateway, and if, it is, if you're partaking of alcohol, And it represents to your friends a gateway to a party, and overconsumption, and if you're doing it with those those type of kids, you will be pushed to conform to the norm of that group. Can someone say amen? I'm saying do not encourage your sons and daughters to do it. You're free not to do that. You don't have to do that. And I want to encourage you this way that what Nehemiah chapter 10 is about is they've had this, this, transforming, this transforming encounter with God and they said because of that we're taking a curse and an oath on ourselves because the most important thing to us is pleasing God and having the life that only God can give. It's called the abundant life and we're not willing to risk anything. And this is what I found. I've been in a lot of situations and I rarely say to anyone I'm a pastor because as soon as I say that I'm a pastor, people start acting differently. They do. They tell me about their grandmother went to church. and no, uh, oh, they do. I'm telling you. And how they want to go, but they have to work, provide for their family. And I'm like, yada, 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 yada. Pull the string, the doll's going to talk. So I don't say anything. When the alcohol comes out, I just said, no, nah, I'm a non-alcoholic. No one's ever said, are you kidding? Aren't you a man? No, they don't dare say that. They respect me. But I don't have to drink to be accepted. If drinking is what accepts you in that group, I want to be in a group that accepts me for who I am. That... Yes, if I'm accepted into a group because I wear a certain brand of jeans, that's a shaky group. (laughs) I'm going to move on. there There are benefits and protection through separation and consecration to the Lord. Strength that comes. The last thing is, personal obligation or responsibility to the house of our God. Verse 32 says this, So we also placed ourselves under obligation to contribute yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. And verse 39, For the sons of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of the grain, the new wine, and the oil to the chambers. There are the utensils of the sanctuary, the priests who are ministering, the gatekeepers and the singers. Thus, we will not neglect the house of our God. I'm going to have the band come if they would. At the end of the message today, there will be a time when you can be prayed for. We're going to have the the, uh, prayer teams that will assemble up here when I call for them, and uh, they'll assemble from my right over that way because uh, we have the Connect Group fairs going on. Something happened to them. Nehemiah said it was so that the work of the Lord could go on and there would be abundance in the house. It specifically said so ministry personnel could be supported. I, in fact, sometimes I'd like to go back to the Old Testament. This is one of them because the tithe came in and belonged to the Levites. Uh, I'd like to have the tithe to live on from grace assembly of God. Uh, in, old time, in old time circles, you know, they actually did that. But they did it because the churches were so small and so little, and they, the preachers were half-starved anyway. They, they used to call them chicken eaters. But today, God's blessed, blessed us, and thank you for it. We've got a couple pictures I want you to put up, John. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> look at that. Jilly, Selah, and uh, Emily. Emily, Emily, Emily. Three-year program. Honor stars are crowned. Uh, Grace Assembly does something like 12 times the national average of putting our, our sons and our daughters through that. Royal Rangers, the gold medal of achievement, We're about 12 times the national average. And go to the next one. That's all, that's all them together. I think their parents are up there, uh, maybe some of the teachers, something like that. But I, my heart was so filled on Wednesday night three years commitment honor stars have to God's word scripture reading memorization and and Connie Hawthorne in the back I love Connie Hawthorne what a coach and 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 Connie thank you because our granddaughters like, I don't want to do this anymore and between uh between my wife and Connie guess what she was crowned on Wednesday night. It's, it's a really a big life achievement And that's because, and what we're doing at Gen Now is because of, listen, you've taken on yourself the obligation to not neglect the house of our God. That's what they said. What happened up until then, the Persian king, a foreign king, had had supported the temple, but what they didn't know is because he had taxed them heavily. They just thought they're getting a free deal. No, they're paying for it. And I don't like taxes, and I'm sure they didn't like paying taxes to the Persian king but that's what was keeping the house of God open. There's no ownership that was there. But as soon as they met God in a profound, life-changing way that touched them, body, soul, spirit, heart, pocketbook, they said, this is what we're going to do so that we won't neglect the house of God. Uh, When I was uh, my first... First pastorate, small church, and they couldn't support us and I was working bivocationally and someone told me when I was 27 about, about retirement and retirement seemed like 40 years away, which was an eternity. But I took a job as as a chaplain at the youth development center in Newcastle, Pennsylvania, and that was a rough, tough place. And I worked I worked in what they call 2A, and that's where the razor wire. And they were all minors, minor kids that had committed serious crimes, rape, murder, arm robbery, violence. And, what a, and my partner was Reverend Gaither. Reverend Israel Gaither was a man of God, an African-American man, brilliant, carried himself with dignity in the Deep South, in the Depression. God saved him from rank, uh, being a racketeering and shooting at people with his revolver. God saved him, and he worked his way through the University of North Carolina during the Depression time. And it was my joy to partner up with this older minister of the Lord. But we had a guy there, Lewis. Lewis is a big, tall, big, looked like a tight end, African-American guy. And man, he despised God and church and church's people. And he'd come up, he'd come up to Israel Gaither, who was about five nine, and it's fine an individual one. He'd say, "Hey, gate mouth," and he'd go like that, "Gate mouth, what do you got to say?" He was a guard, and I thought, "My goodness, what a what a model for these boys." He'd come up to me and say, "Hey, Rev, what's going on?" So, all of a sudden one day Lewis came in and he said hey Reverend Gaither how you doing hey Reverend Paul how you doing and we looked like what has happened here what has happened this alcoholic chain smoking womanizer bullying man of violence, intimidated. He was an alpha male. Had come in contact with the living God. Little white church in Sampson Street in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. He gave his life to Jesus Christ. From then on, he was the first one at church and the last one to leave. Cleaning the church, painting the church, mowing the lawn, anything that they wanted to do because he had this transformation that touched all of him. That's the power of God. And so these things are not just rules to live by. They're really the expressions of what we want to do because of what God has done in our life and what we need to do. And in a way, Nehemiah is a call to our first love. It's a call to intentionality. It's a call of maturity, of stepping up. I refer to my grandkids, you know, quite often. And man, when there's chores to do, we have a cookout outside or something. and It's time to do the chores. You'll see them like running in the shadows. <laughs> you'll see them like they're anything to avoid doing, you know, cleaning up, things like that. But that's being part of a kid. But now that we're adults, we say Yes. And I I just want to thank you for stepping up to the plate. But I also want to encourage you. God wants us, he's calling us, I believe, to our first love. So that the things of obligation and separation and consecration that we do aren't a have to, but they're a want to in him. That's what this is all about, friends. Praise his name. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment?